It's a part of the body that is often ignored, but it does come up during pregnancy and postpartum. It's the pelvic floor. On today's episode, we're going to do a deep dive into this area of the body and its impact on pregnancy with our guests, a pelvic floor physiotherapist and MABC's clinical director. I'm Amy Amanti, and welcome to the Midwives Association of BC podcast, where we will keep you, our members, informed about the latest news and discussions relevant to midwifery in the province of British Columbia. We're going to do some introductions, so uh, Zoe, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Zoe Hodgson. I am a registered midwife in Vancouver and also the clinical director at the MABC. My name is Sally Lynn. Um, I'm a registered physiotherapist in BC uh, and I work at Juno Physiotherapy that are located in the midwifery group in Vancouver as well as Terra Nova Midwifery in Steveston, Richmond. I know nothing about midwifery. <laughs> I'm not a mother. I'm just a person who has a pelvic floor. <laughs> So with that, what what is a pelvic floor? What do we mean by that? Well, the pelvic floor muscles are a group of muscles that are kind of, you can think of it as a hammock or a sling that sit at the very bottom of the pelvis. They can be separated into three layers, but in actuality, from a functional perspective, we can only really use them as uh, one single set. They do have five primary functions, one being that they are a key player in our um, circulation in our pelvis, swelling management. They're what gives us sphincteric control, meaning that that's how we control our pee, poop, and gas. Um, And then they also provide organ support. Uh, And then lastly, they are a key player in sexual function. It's basically what allows us to orgasm. So I suppose the silly question is then, why is pelvic floor health important? Pelvic floor health is quite critical as it uh, does highly impact our quality of life. When we start to talk about dysfunctions or issues that can happen with the pelvic floor, the most commonly known ones I would say are probably pain with sex or pain with penetration, anything to do with pelvic organ prolapse, meaning that you would have symptoms of like heaviness or pressure in your pelvis, any sort of pelvic pain um, or pain in your hips or your back, and then of course urinary leaking, mm-hmm. um, any urinary frequency just meaning that you're going to the toilet like really often or you're getting urges a lot but you're not actually outputting very much and then urinary urgency meaning that you're getting these really strong feeling uncontrollable sensations where you feel like you have to rush to the toilet and that can be really disruptive in our day-to-day lives. In your role as a therapist working with the pelvic floor what what do you do what does that entail? I'll use generally a mixture of um, education as well as any manual therapy, so any hands-on work, and then, of course, exercise prescription as part of the treatment plan to help people be able to have things to work on when they get home as well as doing um, things in their session in person. Zoe, how do midwives factor in when we talk about pelvic floor health? Well, I think that when we talk about pelvic floor in pregnancy, that's oftentimes the first time that somebody's actually considered that in their body. Um, I think the wonderful thing about the model of midwifery is that we have longer appointments. We develop a relationship with our clients based on a model of continuity. So that allows us to kind of venture into some of the discussions that other maternity care professionals may not have the opportunity to do so. Being pregnant often represents the entry of that person into the primary care system not having interacted much before hopefully because that person's been healthy so people learning more about their anatomy people worrying more about their anatomy uh, the fear of pushing a baby out and what that's going to do to their pelvic floor and also 
with the weight of pregnancy, how that's going to impact their pregnant force. So we have a lot of discussions in pregnancy to try and prepare people with knowledge being power. And if you're having expectations as to what you may experience, generally the experience itself is less traumatic. So when we talk about pelvic floor health in relation to pregnancy, Sally, what would you say is is the importance of that subject? I'm going to back us all up a little bit, and I'm going to explain more as to how the pelvic floor actually interacts with our core. So our core, we generally think about it as just the abdominal muscles, but it's actually made up of four sets of muscles. You can think of it as kind of like a cylinder or a canister. And so that top layer that you've got is going to be your diaphragm. The bottom is your pelvic floor. In the front, we have our abdominal wall, so all of our, our abdominal muscles. And then through the back, we have small back muscles. And so this um, canister or cylinder is how the pelvic floor interacts with the core. When we talk about this canister, all it wants to do is manage pressure. And now going back to your question, when we think about pelvic floor health in pregnancy, what happens is that when we are pregnant, the distribution of weight and what's occurring is all very centralized to our abdominals. And so with that, the pressure changes can be a lot more dramatic. Uh, and that does can apply a lot more strain to the pelvic floor. How do you know if what you're experiencing is air quotes normal or air quotes not normal? What do we think about that? Zoe, any thoughts? Having the opportunity to discuss pelvic floor help in pregnancy, I think it opens up the opportunity to talk about things like incontinence, which may have never been discussed before. I wouldn't consider any leakage of urine in pregnancy to be normal. I would be talking about seeking the services of a pelvic floor physio were a client to report such a symptom. I think postpartum, some people have the belief that, you know, a little bit of leakage of urine is, is normal. It's not. I think a common thing, not just with regards to pelvic floor function, but recovery from birth in general, is that everything's going to be okay and back to normal come six weeks. And uh, people come into clinic at six weeks for their, usually their discharge appointment, and they're like, okay, can I start doing running and all of these things? And it's really important that we we talk about pelvic floor health, have done that in pregnancy and in the early postpartum as well, particularly if we're talking about uh, ways to facilitate healing um, if there has been a tear um, during a vaginal birth. Sally, what do you think? In an ideal world, our pelvic floor would work uh, works like our respiratory muscles where we don't think about it. We have to continuously breathe. If we're starting to think about it, where we're experiencing any symptoms, whether that's pain, pelvic pressure, heaviness, or you just you just have this feeling where it's like, I'm paying more attention to it in some way. That's Those are all kind of ways your body starts to communicate with you that, hey, maybe I need a little, bit, a little extra help or a little extra attention because uh, something's happening here. And so if you do start to experience any symptoms of urine leaking, pelvic pressure or heaviness, any sort of pelvic pain or pain in your hips or your back, or um, to be proactive, like if you just want to know more and want to know what um, quote unquote normal can be, it's always a great idea to, um, to go get that help and to go learn more, uh, whether that's from a pelvic floor physiotherapist or anyone else who kind of um, is a bit more knowledgeable in that space. So when we think about pregnancy itself, how important is it for a pregnant person to do things like Kegel exercises or any exercises in general? Well, this is a question we often get. Um, I think people are um, often worried about 
birthing a human through their vagina and how their vagina is going to accommodate that. So I use that as an opportunity to talk about all of the physiological changes in pregnancy, our increased vasculature, um, the hormones that allow for stretching, um, the things that we do as midwives in protecting the perineum for birth, where we're using compresses on the perineum to, to allow for that stretching. Um, lots of people will ask me about the benefits of perineal massage prior to giving birth and about Kegel exercises. Um, some people come in saying, oh, I've got a really strong pelvic floor. Does that put me at greater risk? Or some people will say, I, I've never done a pelvic floor exercise. How do I do them? Um, so absolutely, I think if we can, if we have the opportunity to discuss these things in pregnancy, I think it's going to help prepare for the birth and it's also going to facilitate healing postpartum. When we start to talk more about Kegels and pelvic floor exercises, uh, generally what I what I will tell people in terms of a cue to use is you imagine a blueberry at your vaginal opening and you take a breath in so you can allow everything to relax first and then when you breathe out, you think about squeezing that blueberry. And so the idea of the blueberry being at where the vaginal opening is is so that it's more um, centralized in that pelvic floor and you're doing more of like a global pelvic floor exercise that way. And practicing that and then also paying attention to how you let go of the blueberry, those are very important things. And those are kind of um, things people can start to think about if they want to do pelvic floor exercises. I always recommend that if you haven't been taught how to do them or haven't had any feedback about them to actually not do them because commonly what we'll see is that people tend to have um, more tension in their pelvic floor. And so when we start to talk about birth, what we actually want for birth from a pelvic floor perspective is you want your pelvic floor to be able to relax as much as it can. Because when you're birthing, what's actually happening is it's your uterus that's pushing that baby down. Um, and your pelvic floor is controlling more of the size of your vaginal opening. And so if you tense your pelvic floor, you're actually making that opening smaller. And so when we talk about preparing for a birth, we want to uh, we want to generally make sure that we can definitely relax our pelvic floor and understand what that feels like. So given that, what's your what's your take on perineal massage? So I think the benefits of perineal massage are thought to be twofold. One, we're thinking about physiologically preparing the tissue for stretching, which um, I would say is harder to influence or change. And then two, um, I think what it's a great opportunity uh, to do is to get a better understanding of our body. Because when that baby is crowning and when we are birthing, what's happening is that you're gonna get that stretching, but you're gonna get it in the most intense sensation you're gonna feel in your life. And perineal massage can be an opportunity to be in a more controlled and safe environment um, where you can start to know what those sensations will feel like, but not to that intensity. And so it does give you a good opportunity to be able to practice any relaxation strategies or deep breathing strategies to help you relax out of that tension when you do start to feel that strain on your perineum or that, uh, that sensation of stretching. So I've heard about this thing called diastasis recti. I don't know what this is. So I'm hoping you can educate me about this and uh, how it's related to pregnancy. So when we talk about diastasis recti, um, we're actually thinking about measuring the connective tissue between the abdominal muscles. Transversus abdominis, or TA, which are the deep layers of the abdominal muscles. Um, between that, there is connective tissue, and this connective tissue is where we will measure, um, measure the width, 
the strength, um, as well as look out for any coning or doming in that midline area. When we say something like diastasis recti, it can be given as a, di- a diagnosis or um, kind of a term to say that there is an abnormality in that width or the tension, just meaning you have a bit more weakness or a bit more widening of that area. The normal width that's uh, that it's supposed to be is about 0.5 to 2 centimeters, um, and so that's about half a finger width to two finger widths approximately. Uh, and then in terms of depth or tension, what we're actually measuring is um, where we will press through that midsection and we do want it to be nice and firm. And if we're able to sink our fingers in, then that is when um, we are a little bit more concerned about strength or it's um, it's an area where we can improve the strength. But in pregnancy, in your third trimester, about 100% of women will experience um, diastasis recti and it's a healthy Um, adaptation because what needs to happen through that area is there does need to be widening uh, so that it can accommodate for the growing fetus. But when we talk about diastasis recti, it's really more about if you start to see that coning or doming through that area or tenting um, and that will be generally more of like a protrusion through the midsection, usually when people are kind of like getting out of bed or doing any sort of crunch motion. And so what we can do about that in terms of helping that is we can work on our deep abdominal and learning to train that and learning how to be a bit more connected and utilize um, utilize that more effectively, which can also impact the pelvic floor because the pelvic floor and those deep abdominals actually work together. If you notice that you have diastasis recti in pregnancy and it's, and it's more than the two centimeter gap, you want to see a pelvic floor physio. What's the timeline on that? Is it kind of like you need to, there's like a critical period where you need to start doing the exercises, otherwise it's too late and you're not going to be able to regain the strength that you had previously? No, I would definitely say there's no critical period um, across the board, in my opinion, actually. But in pregnancy, what we're looking to do um, is basically manage as best as we can and maintain things as best as we can. Because pregnancy is basically a period of deconditioning. And the more we can slow that down, the better the outcomes in general. And so if, let's say, someone does notice that they're, um, they've got some tenting or doming um, in their like first or second trimester, learning how to do these deep abdominal exercises um, is going to be helpful for the rest of their pregnancy as well as set them up better for postpartum as well. That's that's really interesting to me because oftentimes we'll we'll say you know if there's if we're notice, noticing any tenting or like separation of the abdominal muscles, we're talking about ways to prevent engaging your core so as not to accentuate the gap. So when you say doing those deep muscle exercises, what do you mean? What are those? What do you mean by those? You have your abdominal muscles. There are three different layers. So the top layer is going to be rectus abdominis, um, generally what we think of as that six-pack muscle. That second layer is going to be your obliques. And then that deep layer, that third layer, is going to be transversus abdominis or TA. Transversus abdominis is basically directly kind of responsible for helping manage that um, diastasis or that um, connective tissue through that area. And so the more that we know how to access and utilize um TA or the deep abdominals, the easier it is for us to stabilize that inner core um, and to stay stronger through that. Because in an ideal world, when we think about like reaching for a glass of water or anything like that, what should be happening is that your brain kind of should already kind of subconsciously know that and it actually wants to engage that deep, um, that deep inner layer. So your, your TA as well as your pelvic floor. 
and then you actually go and reach and that's when the bigger muscles come on on top and um, and add that movement of your arm and everything like that. And now when we start to talk about dysfunction, uh, meaning that maybe your body is being more challenged in something like pregnancy, then what happens is that if it's getting over challenged, then maybe that deep abdominal layer isn't turning on at the appropriate time. And so instead, what your body's going to do to try and help is it's going to bring those bigger ones on top to help, but that can create a little bit more shearing, which can contribute to that gap or that width. So Zoe, can you talk maybe a little bit about postpartum, how that's related to the pelvic floor? It's difficult with with pregnancy and birth because usually after somebody's birth to baby, whether that be vaginally or via cesarean section, people are experiencing pain and people are experiencing heaviness and lower back pain with feeding the baby, constantly bending over to change a baby's diaper. People often experience heaviness. At what point do we say, okay, this isn't normal. Um, and oftentimes as midwives, we're referring people to pelvic floor physios before they begin their usual exercise routine. And oftentimes, in my experience at least, a pelvic floor physio won't see a pregnant person until they're six weeks postpartum because they want to make sure that the 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 body is, has a chance to, to heal from the delivery. But my understanding is that if we can still encourage people to do pelvic floor exercises in the early postpartum with any contraction of the pelvic floor, promoting blood flow and promoting healing, which is ultimately going to put them in a better place come the six-week mark. Previously, I would say probably 10, 15 years ago, we were telling women um, to not, like if they had any abdominal separation or they wanted to protect their abdominals a little bit more, they were told to not do like crunches and not to do any exercises that kind of strain that area. But what happens when we're postpartum and after we give birth to the baby is we start to do loaded, um, loaded crunches because when you're reclined and feeding the baby, whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding and you sit up, you're holding a weight, your baby, and sitting up and becomes a loaded crunch. And so when we talk about exercise in particular, what I like to tell people is that those first zero to 12 weeks, you do want to prioritize rest. But when you start to introduce exercise, uh, it's going to be more about uh, managing walking tolerance. So just meaning that when you go out for walks, it should be manageable in a way where your symptoms should be minimal or tolerable. And then the other things we want to be doing are kind of um, reconnecting with our pelvic floor, reconnecting with our abdominals. And so that'll be um, some breathing exercises, some deep abdominal exercises, and then different variations of Kegels where you do want to be able to squeeze those muscles, but also you want to be able to let those muscles go as well. During postpartum, after after childbirth, when might a midwife refer a client to a pelvic floor therapist? My understanding is that many pelvic floor physios won't actually see postpartum people until six weeks postpartum. So I'm really interested to hear what Sally has to say about this. Generally, what uh, what we are taught and will say is that um, we will not do an internal exam until they're discharged from their um, care provider. So that's generally going to be around six weeks um, or potentially a little bit earlier, a little bit later. In terms of being seen postpartum, um, there is a lot more of a push across the um, physiotherapy community to have postpartum mothers be seen earlier. And the reason being that, for example, if we start to talk about injury, um, if someone is having like um, total knee replacement or any kind of surgery, what happens is usually you're going to see physio in hospital on day zero or day one post-op. 
And so with something like childbirth, it is a traumatic event to the body. And so there is a big push to have uh, clients be seen sooner. I would say in general, in terms of very early on care, that would in an ideal world be in hospital. But once um, people are home, um, I usually will recommend anywhere from two to eight weeks to come see me. You can see someone a lot sooner than six weeks, especially if it's something um, more like pain related, like if you're having like carpal tunnel symptoms or like you have a lot of like upper back pain, like these are all things that whether it's a physiotherapist or a chiro, a chiropractor or, or a registered massage therapist, these are things you can get help for if they are something that you feel are um, is significantly affecting you or affecting you enough for you to want to seek care. When you're talking about seeing people between two and eight weeks postpartum would really be making that referral in pregnancy. So is that routinely, like we should be making that referral before the baby's been born for everybody? Or are you saying that you only want to see people earlier if they're experiencing particular symptoms? In an ideal world, I would say seeing someone around their second trimester as a check-in, as education to help them understand what kind of the pelvic floor is, um, kind of how a physiotherapist can help in pregnancy is a great touch point. And if things are going well, it can just be that one visit. And then afterwards, I'll generally recommend to come in somewhere between um, two and eight weeks postpartum as well. And again, we can do a check-in. Um, we can talk through their birth story, kind of how they felt about it, what they're physically feeling or mentally or emotionally um, is happening. And then if things are well, then people may um, self-discharge or we may discharge them. They may get seen like um, a couple months later just to continue to get a check-in and also have more guidance with a return to activity or exercise or um, however their goals may lie. So one of the things we haven't touched on, which um, people might be going, hey, you haven't touched on the you know, the fact that good pelvic floor health obviously connects to sexual health. How do those two things connect? One of the most common things that um, I will hear as a practitioner and statistically will happen for like more than 50% of the population is that people will experience pain with penetration. If you have a lot of tension in your pelvic floor and you um, aren't able to relax it as well, then it can create more of that pain with penetration um, upon entry. And so if we are able to step back and understand that some of the things that we do for ourselves uh, from a relaxation technique perspective can help, then we are um, much better odds of being able to communicate that with our partner to be like, hey, I just need a moment to take that um, small window of break or whatever it is for that individual and then to continue from there. And that can definitely help with something like pain with sex or um, pain with penetration. And then otherwise with sexual dysfunction as well is that if we have uh, more tension in our pelvic floor, what it can do is it can affect circulation. If we have more um, tension, it can decrease um, how we can feel pleasure. Uh, and then that just completely changes our sexual experience as well. I think when we're talking about sex in pregnancy, particularly sex in the postpartum, we need to think about the hormones too. So if somebody is breast or chest feeding their baby, their levels of estrogen are going to be lower, which means they may, may be experiencing more vaginal dryness, which can contribute to pain during sex. So using lubricants and I think what Sally said was 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 beautiful in terms of, you know, slowing things down, looking at other ways to obtain pleasure, which don't necessarily rely upon penetration. There's no right time to restart or regain sexual activity. And it's all about when the person feels comfortable. Any of these 
pelvic floor exercises, whether you're a pregnant person or not, are probably good for everybody. Can we just take a moment and talk about like the everyday practicality and everyday like good practice of taking care of our pelvic floors? When we uh, start to talk about taking care of our pelvic floor in a day-to-day, I'm the type of physiotherapist where I don't enjoy telling people that they need to do an exercise for the rest of their life. To me, what I try to tell people to do is like, here is what I'm recommending, but try to fit this into your life in the way that feels most manageable. When you do any exercise, you are using these muscles. When you're when you're cleaning the house, when you're washing the dishes, you're constantly using these muscles. And so if you are going to have structured exercise in your life, like going for those walks, doing any strength training, that's going to be beneficial for your pelvic floor because it is training that as well. If somebody wants to connect with a pelvic floor physiotherapist, I imagine the wait list is quite long. I would say in general, the wait list is going to be about two to four months, depending on who you're accessing. Um, but what I always recommend is still to reach out. I would in general say it's going to be shorter than than what you think in terms of like if you they give you a wait list of like, oh, expect three to four months. It's generally going to be shorter that, uh, than that if you're open to like, you know, taking a last minute spot or a last minute cancellation or something like that. Sally, tell us how one can find themselves a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Yeah, so in BC, what you can do is you can go on to the website of the Physiotherapy Association of BC. And on there, there's an area that says find a physio and you can actually go in there uh, and search for a physiotherapist in your local area. It does also split it up um, into different specialties. uh, And so women's health or pelvic floor physiotherapy. And then of course, you can always reach out to your uh, local care provider, whether that's your family doctor, your midwife, um, or your OB uh, and get some information that way as well. The problem with physio in general is it's, it's you can only access it uh, without paying out of pocket if you have extended benefits. So what are the options for people who don't? Some people will provide a, sli- a sliding scale where if there is financial burden, they will adjust the cost of that. But it is a difficult spot that, um, that people are in where, um, like you're saying, Physiotherapy is generally more of a private service if we're not um, accessing a public program. Obviously, there's a barrier to being able to access physio uh, equitably, as there are many barriers to accessing some things in our healthcare system. And as many of these home devices pop up on the Internet, what are your thoughts on on some devices that people can order online and use at home to test their pelvic floors or strengthen their pelvic floors? these internal devices, what they generally are kind of sold as is that something you can insert um, internally that's going to measure the strength of your muscle contraction. And it's going to generally, what I've seen, link to an app on your phone. And you can kind of see a graph of what's happening when you do like pelvic floor exercises. If someone brings this in uh, when they're coming to see me or brings this up as a question, I tell them like if they find that that's helpful because kind of sometimes that... um, Visual feedback can be really helpful for people is that if they feel it's helpful, then um, by all means, I, I do support that use. But I what I do caution people about is that when they are using these to kind of decrease that exercise time, because what I've seen with a lot of them or been informed about is they'll ask people to do this for like 20 minutes, which is just a really long time to be doing like it more intensive exercise with your pelvic floor and so with those sometimes I bring that down to like three to five minutes or just using it more as like a feedback tool to understand what's happening with your body and then to um, maybe do exercises outside of that. 
Is there a tip on how best to relax? Doing deep breathing and seeing if you can like kind of funnel your breath down towards your lower belly and then lower into your pelvic floor. Doing some deep breathing and helping calm our nervous system, that does help our pelvic floor relax and helps our whole body relax. It's totally none of my business. Are you doing these pelvic floor exercises like all the time because this is your business? I do not do them all the time. I can definitely um, admit to that. Funnily enough, people don't ask me about that. If I start to feel like things might need a little more work, then I will do them. But if anything, I try to do more of that deep breathing because there are a lot of benefits of just being able to calm our nervous system and be in a calmer state. But I think this is a really important conversation because oftentimes we will only do things if we're trying to correct a, a deficiency. So if we're not experiencing like urine leakage or, or or things like that, then we're like, oh, everything's fine. So it's only when we start to experience those symptoms that you're like, oh, goodness, I've got to I've got to work on my pelvic floor. And I think it's really interesting when we're talking about birth in particular, because if we were out for a run and we sprained our ankle, we would know that was there was some rehabilitation, some exercises that we needed to do to bring our ankle back to health. But with pregnancy and birth, as long as we're not experiencing any symptoms, we're like, it's okay. But actually, your pelvic floor has come under a lot of strain in pregnancy, potentially with the birth as well. And there is a little bit of work that needs to be done to regain that, that primary function. I don't want to kind of pathologize things, but I think when when we talk about things in terms of injury, then people are more kind of motivated to correct a deficiency. But when we're like, oh, yeah, no, you had a baby, your baby came sliding out, you're not necessarily as motivated to work on your pelvic floor strength unless you face symptoms. As midwives, we care for people until generally six weeks postpartum. And as long as everything's fine, like that's the extent of the care we provide. But if they're not experiencing any adverse symptoms, such as urinary leakage or incontinence in those six weeks, that doesn't necessarily necessarily say that they're going to be good for life but as we've been saying like the important thing about the pelvic floor is that it's something that we need to think about outside of pregnancy and so definitely we should be thinking about it and and working on it beyond those six weeks postpartum this has been awesome i have learned so much i always do with this podcast zoe thank you so much for joining us sally thank you so much this has been awesome I can't wait till the next conversation. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, both of you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, let others know by sharing our podcast on social media. MABC exists to support our members. And this podcast is in response to feedback as a means of member engagement. If you have any topics that you'd like us to cover or any other comments, let us know by reaching out to the MABC. Until our next episode, I'm your host, Amy Amanti. Have a great day.